Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. That wasn't 10 seconds. I was waiting for you to count for yourself this time. Oh, good morning, Takeover Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. I'm the uh, lead pastor alongside my amazing wife, who you saw earlier in her prayer. Um, it's great to have you. Uh, This week, this week, our first week into our sixth year as a church, it's, it's been a monumental week. You see, Wednesday night we had our first fire by night based off obviously the presence of God leading Israel through the desert at night and cloud by day. And, we had our first one of the year, this prayer night and worship night, and man, it was, it was like our own personal Asbury. It was like for, for two hours straight, we almost, I think we sang maybe a total of two and a half, maybe three songs, and it was full of just earnest hearts laying themselves bare before the Lord, rending our hearts, and just saying, Jesus, if you'll come, we'll be here. Jesus, if you'll touch down, you'll find vessels ready to receive you. And then this moment happened where we just kept singing, let it rain, let it rain. And we kept going back to let it rain, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. And this, and this night was profound. This night was significant. And the significance of this week carried over to our 6 a.m. morning glory prayer meeting. And the Lord came in this place. And I think there was like six of us in the room. And he came and he moved and he touched down yet again. And there's just something there's something that he's fulfilling in this house that was long promised to us long ago. And I'm sorry that I didn't participate in the praise part. It's not because I don't want to give him praise. It's because right now I, I, I don't feel like he's looking for that at the moment. I think he's looking for lives who will not just come to church on a Sunday and praise him with their lips but then live lives like their lips are shut and their ears are closed and their eyes are closed off to him throughout the week. I think what happens in the room when people who are serious about him, he seriously comes. And I'm not, this isn't a rebuke. I'm not even upset that certain people or a lot of people weren't there. What I'm saying is this. For those of you who have purposed in your lives to meet with him, he sure does meet with us. He sure does meet with us. And yeah, if I was your pastor and if I was worth my weight in salt, I would tell you, you should be in the house of God because he's here. It's not because we want to put on another service or I need to take another offering or we need to do whatever this, this sickening virus that is alive in the church today where we think pastors are just out to control us and get us. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get you to Jesus. And so that Jesus can make you like him. Amen? 
And so there was this moment this week and there was this moment this morning and I don't want to move on from it. I have got John 3.30 tattooed on my arm and the older I get, I got it at 16, the same year I got saved. I lied and said my parents agreed to get me a purity ring and this tattoo on my arm. Don't judge me. But I lied and I knew these two things were going to be essential, that I would be set apart, one, for my Lord and for my wife, and that I needed to stay low so that he could go high. That if anything ever built by Matt McClure would result in an idol of Matt McClure. That I need less of me every day and I need more of him in every way. I appreciate anybody this morning. And so I am just bleeding before you this morning to hear my plea as someone who doesn't want to manipulate you, but someone who cares for you, who cares whether you look like, sound like, sound like, and are close to God the way Jesus is. I implore you, I challenge you, I provoke you. Some of you, I hope I offend you, and I hope in this moment... You would hear one man who was once lost, but now he's found. And I've been found and I've been set on fire. And now that I'm set on fire, I can't go back to what was. And honestly, after this last week that we've had here, I can't go back to what 2024 has looked like. I can't. Church, this is the moment. This is the time. This is either going to be a point of no return or it is going to be a point of us backsliding as a community, not as individuals, and going backwards. Pastor Matt, we're already the wildest church we know. It's time to get wilder. Pastor Matt, we're already the most on-fire church that we know. It's time to get more fire. Pastor Matt, we're already the most anointed. got all the oil that we know that we can think of. That's why we come here. That's why we invest here. That's why we build our kids here and our families here. Friends, it's time to get more oil. It's time to get more. I woke up this week every day, and the Lord gripped me right here underneath the communion table, which is amazing because when we did our revelation uh, during our... Uh, Fire upon the earth last year, we, we, we went through the entire book of Revelation over the summer, and a lot of you wouldn't know that because it was summer. But the bottom line is, it was in that moment that, that John sees these elders who were martyred and who live beneath the altar before the throne of God, praising him and worshiping, singing songs to him day and night, night and day. And it was in this moment where I began to have this, this calling, this churning on the inside of me that I just, I was like, God, if I could, I, I, I don't entirely understand what heaven's going to look like. I know that we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And I know that, that what we read in Revelation isn't always going to be the descriptor of what will be. But God, if you'll have me, can you make me the kind of man that lives a life here and now today that is worthy of living beneath your altar in heaven? And today, I just got gripped. I got gripped. And my hands were stuck on the on the table and I just kept saying I need you higher and I need me lower I need you higher and I need me lower 
That as, that as much as I feel great about my salvation and my sanctification, that I'm as close to God as I've ever been. Friends, I am telling you, there are deeper wells yet to be dug with this God of ours. I am telling you, I need him so much higher than everything in me. And I need everything within me so much lower. He's worthy. He's worthy. And I'm telling you, the, the hour is now to live with the revelation of his worth. We're going to continue the stewardship of our prophetic word for this year. Jesus told us himself in Matthew 21, 13, he said, listen, what you've made the church. See, we, we didn't have to wait to get to 2020 when COVID upended what cultural Christianity looked like to realize we've screwed it up. We, we are humans and we perpetually screw it up. And we screwed it up then. We took God's original design we took his original intention for the church and Jesus says, you've turned it into a den of thieves. Not a thing that's happening in this place right now is, is, is unto me, for me, and with me. In fact, everything that's happening is about you. It's not my house. My house isn't about you. My house is about me. Not because we have some narcissistic God, but because him and his presence and his glory is the best thing for his creation. Our God is not a narcissist, amen? amen? He just knows you, and he knows what's best for you. And that's him in his house and his ways, amen? So Jesus says, listen, champ, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I just got gripped this last part of the 2023 as we went through November and December. And I was asking God, I was fasting, and I was saying, what would you have us pursue for the next 365 days? Not knowing that this year was a leap year, by the way. He said, Matt, build me a house of prayer in Grand Rapids. He gave me the roadmap of what Acts looks like. At first, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, so we were set on fire. We had the fire upon the earth. And then once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They committed themselves to prayer. And then from prayer came every other good and godly work. Amen. So for us, house of prayer has got to be more than just this sweet slogan or a cool thing we blasted on a t-shirt or something that you're gonna hear me say every single week, week in and week out. A house of prayer has gotta be what this house is. It's gotta be what your house is. It's gotta be what you are as the temple of God, the embodiment, the person who holds God via the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. We have got to be committed individually and corporately and collectively to being what? A house of prayer. It's wild. We just live in a time where everyone is dubious of pastors. And I'm like, I get, I've got some brothers in the cloth that suck. I understand. I too have sucked. Thanks, wife. But in saying that, 
This house, these pastors, this leadership, this place, this isn't out to get you. This is out to get him. This is out to get him. I'm not interested in manipulating you because I'm too busy trying to romance him. I'm too busy trying to woo him into the room. I'm too busy trying to get him here to get on you and through you and in you. Amen? It's what we do. I felt the Lord say there's a spirit of offense in your house. He said, if there's going to be a spirit of offense, it better be because I offended him. Not because people just came in with a spirit of offense and it was never, you know, rejected or called out or rebuked. And so I want to say this. First Sunday of year six. If I have offended you outside of what God says in his word. I'm sorry. And I love you. And ask that you would forgive me. And if you've offended me outside of what God says in his word and his will, I want you to know that I forgive you. If your spouse has offended you, if someone else in this church has offended you, if you were dating somebody and you guys met here and they broke up with you and you were offended, all of it. Right now, we just put offense in a body bag and we put that in the deepest grave. Amen. 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 We can't go forward in offense when we're called to proceed on our knees. It is not going to happen. So the title of my sermon this morning, if you're still with me. Ready? This is a dangerous thing, and I'm going to make you repeat it. I'm going to say it once, but then you're going to say it with me, okay? So you're, you're already here. You're stuck with what we just, we're about to confess. I want you to know that. There's no going back. The title of my sermon today and the prayer of my heart. Consecrate us, O Lord. Somebody repeat after me. Consecrate us, O Lord. Grab your hand of your neighbor and say, Consecrate us, O Lord. Consecrate us, O Lord. Consecration is the single most dangerous word in Christianity, and yet it is the most overlooked phrase, the most overlooked practice, the most overlooked function of the church and of the Christian. And today I pray that we grow with great affection for consecration. Consecrate us, O Lord. If you're a Bible-holding person, crack open the Word of God to the book of John 17. Where we start off in the uh, verse 17 through 20. Uh, At least you're 22, yeah. 17 through 22. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the Sky Bible. John 17, 17 through 22. Oh, you know what? I really love verse 16. I'm going to include that. It's not going to be on the screen, but you should have a Bible. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, church. 
and that they may also be one, just as you and I, Father, are one in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I'm going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to meet us. Sound good? Father, I ask right now, I ask, O King of glory, that you would make a people right now that say with our lives, not just our lips, with our thoughts, not just the things we confess, with what happens between our ears, God. I want us to live such lives externally and internally, God, before you that says, King of glory, come receive your glory. King of glory, come receive your glory. Receive your glory in my thoughts. Receive your glory in my purity. Receive your glory in my actions. Receive your glory in my inactions. Receive your glory in my sexuality. Receive your glory in my most inner parts, God. Receive your glory in me. Holy Spirit, if there's anything... Anything in this house, over this house, or in us as people today that is not of your likeness, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you stranglehold it here and now? Would you excommunicate any other spirit in this room from this place, this domain that has been set apart, warehouse as it may be, it'll be a tabernacle unto the Lord. Set it apart today, God, as you set us apart. And like fire wrapped up in our bones, let there be a fire wrapped up in this house. That today, Lord, we wouldn't be a vessel for a pastor's pontification. God, we say, we say, we say, let it start with me. Nobody here, including Matt McClure, came to hear Matt McClure. We all came to hear from the living God. We all came to hear from the living God. So, Father, we're not going to sing about us. We're going to sing about you. We're not going to talk about us. We're going to talk about you. God, we want nothing to do with anything we've ever seen. We want everything to do with everything that you've promised. So we thank you for what you've put in your word and what you made available through your son. And we will give your son, our precious big brother Jesus, our savior, our king and Lord, we will give him all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the power, and all of the praise that he is so richly due. In Jesus' mighty name we say, amen. Amen. Consecrate us, Lord. Consecrate us, Lord. Consecrate us, Lord. Oh, it's a dangerous word, consecration. It's a dangerous word. You see, we, uh, we live in an interesting time. We live in an interesting time, and it's not a time that God was unaware of that you would be placed into, that you would be birthed into. In fact, we all love to say it when we're going through trials of many kinds. We love to quote Esther, be like, I was made for such a time as this. And then when it comes to actually being the church and a Christian in times such as this, when it's not just about work difficulties or marital dysfunction, but when it comes to actually being the church of being a Christian in a dark, dark world, suddenly we're not so quick to recite the words of dear Esther. Suddenly we're like, why wasn't I born when? Or can Jesus come back now? Friends, can I encourage you and also correct you? Jesus isn't coming back until he has a glorious bride worth coming for. 
Somebody the other week, they asked me, Pastor Matt, why do we have an altar call every week? Literal question I got. And I said, because I'm your pastor. And I know that for the majority of us, we are not pursuing, confessing, and repenting, and sitting with the Lord on a daily basis. And so for every single Sunday, if I don't have something actionable, something for you to receive and then go and partake in, I don't know and I don't trust that you are going to go and do what was preached, what was sermonized, what was taught, what was given to you throughout the week. I don't know that you're going to take this and go and sit with the Lord on your own. And I'm telling you this, if we're not going and sitting with the Lord on our own, we'll never be a pure and blameless bride. Because if he can't correct us when we're alone with him, he has no business correcting us in this room with him. Problem is, Christians, we'd rather have something happen in this room than kind of carry until the next time we're in this room instead of have something be birthed in this room that is then grown and stewarded and lived out every day until you're back into this room. If we were living lives on the altar, altar calls weekly would not be necessary. If we were living lives daily, hourly, minute by minute on the altar, altar calls wouldn't be necessary because we would be being formed and fashioned into a blameless and pure bride, drazzled, dazzled in white, he says, while we're with him. And to be honest with you, bless you, and to be honest with you, even if there's an altar call that is something I'm not struggling with, if there's an invitation in church, let me tell you, as someone I hope is spiritually mature in my relationship with Christ, if there's an altar call of any kind, I'm coming to the altar. I'm going to lead the charge. Why? Because a pastor needs to lead partially, mainly. Can I tell you what it is? If there's an availability to have more of God, who am I to not want more of him? Who am I to not want more of him? Who am I to not long for more of him? Well, Pastor Matt, rushing the altar isn't really anything I grew up with. That's okay. I didn't grow up in church at all. You know what happened? I met Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, you can't help but be on your knees in front of him. And while we're talking about altar calls and why we have them, friends, can I tell you the reason God is calling us to be a house of prayer, the reason it wasn't just enough for the disciples to get the Holy Spirit and then go about their business, it's because you are called to be a part of his body and his bride. Friends, an arm unattached to the body is not a part of the body. It's a dead appendage with no life. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Jesus literally is saying, my house will be a house of prayer. And then Paul echoes that later on and says, do you know what the hope of the world is? The local church. But why is the church the hope of the world? Because it's a house of prayer. What does that mean? God's in the world. God's in the world. And so we live in this place of what is the church's role in the world? To get God back in the world. What is the church's function in politics to get God back in the world? What is the church's function in schools to get God back in the world? 
What is the church's function in the dating scene? I don't know about you, but I think it'd be really cool to have like a single social one day, just saying, and I could be there just looking at people. What you saying to her right now, son? Girl, what you doing to my boy? I'm saying, what is the church's function? To get God in the world and in the conversation, to give him a voice to our chaos. Because he's still the God who speaks peace to chaos. I appreciate anybody this morning. And so when we're going to build him a house of prayer, it's not just because it's sexy. It's not because, oh, it's so cool to be like this church or that church or that whatever. No, no, I love forerunners. I was just talking to one last week, and the main part of our conversation was saying to this guy, hey, thank you for blazing the trail for the last 15 years of what it looks like to be a house of prayer and get God back in the heart of a city so that young guys like me who think we know it all can confess our sin and say we don't know anything, but we can run down the trail that you blazed before us. I appreciate anybody this morning. I'm saying the church exists for what? To get God back in the earth. God actually wants to be involved in human affairs. I find it really strange that we live in a day and age where we don't want God in politics. And it's like, who better to govern? Funny how Isaiah says in our favorite Christmas verse, right? Wonderful, merciful counselor. The governor shall be upon his shoulders. Interesting, because his body wants nothing to do with politics. How is the government going to be on his shoulders when his body abdicates his responsibility to be involved in politics? You picking up what I'm laying down? You smelling what I'm selling? Thank you. Pray for me. You guys like the new pulpit? I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. I thought I'd acknowledge the elephant in the room. Evan got it off Mad Cheetah. Thank you, Pastor Evan. Seven bucks. The house of prayer is the hope for the world. If the church doesn't have God, the, God, the world doesn't have God. If the church doesn't have God, the world doesn't have a conscience. See, for the Christian, our conscience, once we became alive in Christ, our conscience then was supplanted and taken over by the Holy Spirit. The world still needs a conscience. Who is going to be its conscience? The Spirit-filled believers. I appreciate anybody. The Spirit-filled believer. The Spirit-filled sons and daughters of the Most High God. Pastor Matt, what does this have to do with consecration at all? Has everything to do with consecration. We live in a day and age where we are asking what the church's role in our society is. The reason we're asking that and the reason we have all these dumb articles and these dumb personalities talking online for the church, by the way. Not of the church, but for the church. We have all these talking heads and political figures and all these people talking about the church's function and what our value in society is. The church hasn't stopped for a moment to address it. The purpose and function of the church is to get God involved in the affairs of man again. Well, how do we do that? We have relationship with him. That's what a house of prayer is. It's a relational atmosphere for God and man to co-mingle together. It's a relational place where God and man can come and tabernacle together. It's a relational place where God and man can come and we can have a consecrated relationship 
together. You see, what I find interesting about the world and the day and age in which we live is that we're having all of these discussions and I think the church is finding herself asking the same question. Why do we exist? What is the point? Why do I go to church? Why am I a part of this body? Why do I tithe? Why do I worship? Why do I sow? Why am I here? And we start having this internal monologue about all of these things. And if we do not allow the word of God to define the function and purpose of the church, the world will define the function and purpose or infunction of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And when you and I get silly and we start thinking we can exist for Christ outside of this, listen, you have a personal relationship with Jesus that was made, fashioned, formed, and designed to exist and thrive and grow within the body and bride of Christ. A Christian will never be what he or she can be without community. And I don't mean community of heretics, community of social media and TikTokers. I mean, people with you in the nitty gritty daily, weekly saying, hey, bro, hey, girl, you got poop on your back. Yeah. That pastor just say poop? Yes. You ever heard about shepherding? Shepherds spend literally the most amount of their time picking sheep's own poop out of its side. Yeah. Why? So that it can be pure and blameless. Yeah. So the fruit of its life, what? The shears can be taken to its wool and it can produce something worthy with its life. If I'm a shepherd and I'm not committed to keeping your side clean, if we're not committed as a church to keeping your backside white, if we're not committed to having the hard and difficult conversations with you, it means I don't love you and I don't think anything about you. But that's not who Jesus is and that's not who we are, amen. Because I want you to live a life that Jesus goes, that's mine. How do I know that's mine? it submits to good shepherds in a good house to let its backside get clean. And then when the shears come out and it's time for fruit to happen in their lives, for their wool to produce something of value in the earth, it's clean, it's pure, it's ready. Yeah. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. We need to get a revelation of Jesus as a shepherd today. We need to get a revelation of you as a sheep today. Me as a sheep today. So what does this have anything to do with being consecrated. Consecrated is a dangerous word in the church, but consecration is actually the hinge upon whether the church will be what she's called to be or the church will not be what she's been made to be. When we begin to live unconsecrated lives, friends, it's amazing how limited we get in our relationship with God. It's interesting. It's interesting, right? Because here's the deal. If, if the house of prayer spirits that we've been preaching for eight weeks now, bless you, if this was coming and taking root in our lives so far, guess what would happen? It would be full altars. It would be full prayer meetings. Somebody once told me who's much wiser than I am and has like a 5,000 person church, but are pretty stoutly committed to the, the, the prayer of the Lord and being with him. This good friend of mine, he was like, Matt, do you want to know how powerful your church is? And I said, how powerful is my church? He goes, look at your prayer meeting. And I was like, with the Lord there? He's like, no, who are the people that are there? 
man, weekly I got about eight Holy Spirit heavyweights that are just crushing it for the Lord. And I don't say that, again, that's not to offend you or to maim you. That's to point you to something greater. That's to point you to something greater. I was in a car accident last week. My wife was like, you're not going to prayer meeting. Like the girl was trying to stop me. <laughs> she did. It's probably wise, but know it. I was trying to be here. But this is the deal. Consecration is literally the remedy for a limited imagination. You see, so many Christians, we live like we've exhausted God. So many Christians, we live like literally the raising of the hand in our salvation moment was the best it's ever gonna get with him. We live in ways, and I know we live this way because our actions and the fruit of our lives tell me so. I know this is the truth of this region that we're in. I know this is what West Michigan feels like. And that's why I know we're called for such a time as this because we got to peel back, man. We've got to peel back and say, listen, there is so much more with God. You and I, we haven't even sniffed it yet. We haven't even caught a glimpse of it yet. We haven't even tasted and seen how good he truly is yet. We've had salvation rain out. We've had good works lead to some progress. We've had people preach some crazy heresy in our city. We all know those hours, right? We've had some wild things happen in Grand Rapids, but what have we not had? We've not had the days of Elijah We've not had the hour of Paul. You know, what's interesting is people, we live in this perpetual place in West Michigan where we have a limited imagination of who our God is. For me, it's like, man, if we would just devour this daily, if we would just keep coming back to every word, every syllable, every sentence he said, if we come back to every moment in this room that we wept and our children were raised back to life in Christ and our spouse got saved and we, I got delivered from, from drugs and alcohol addiction, I mean, all of the things. If we just kept going back, man, we would live in such a way that I believe we would see the days of Elijah and we see the hours of Paul again in our time. The reason we don't, for me, I gotta say it, friends, is that we have this limited imagination of who our God is. We live thinking we've maxed out all that our God can do. Friends, if this moment right here, as sweet as this week has been, and I'm not going back, I am staying. This is it, God, we're committed. You gotta take us further than this now. But if that was as good as it gets, friends, that doesn't line up with what I've read that doesn't line up with what I've heard. That doesn't line up with what I've heard even in my own lifetime of what God has done, not just in Brazil or in Africa. No, in the Americas, North America, the once great superpower of the world, I've heard Jesus shake places. And I'm going, where is that? Friends, I believe we have a limited imagination of who our God is because frankly, for most of us, we're bored of God. We find worship boring. We find his word boring. We find prayer boring. We find preaching boring. We find coming to church boring. We find this as a chore. Friends, can I just assert to you this morning in the most pastoral, loving way I can with a little smack on the tushy, God's not boring, you are. 
God's not boring, Matt is. God's not boring, Zach is. God's not boring, we are. He is the single most non-boring being in existence. He's incapable of being boring. Literally, he is inexhaustible. Literally, there are depths to him we'll never find even unto eternity. We'll spend all of eternity going the distance and never arriving. It's who he is. And yet this God loves you and I and we kind of like him sometimes maybe when things are going our way. We treat God like the blackjack dealer and when it's good, we say, hit me again. And when it's bad, we try to walk away. And then we treat him like a bad habit. We just can't quit because we keep hoping something will turn up red eventually. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus literally, friends, can I tell you this morning, Jesus literally starts off in this scripture right here that we just read. He is in the middle of what is called his high priestly prayer. And as scholars, we say it like this. It is inner Trinitarian dialogue. What does that mean? It means God the Son is speaking to God the Father by way of God the Spirit. God the Son speaking to God the Father via God the Spirit. Three and one, one and three, the Apostles' Creed. Amen? Okay, a little theology lesson for you this morning. But there's something called inter-Trinitarian dialogue, and it's amazing because in this moment, James, John, and Peter, they have got an invitation to see Jesus behold his Father through the Holy Spirit. They have this amazing moment, and Jesus starts it off, and he says, I consecrate myself. I consecrate myself for them, to them, with them. I consecrate myself. Friends, consecration, deep consecration is the remedy for your limited imagination. You will never be bored with God as long as you're being consecrated unto God. You will never be tired of God. You'll never be deluged that you thought you maxed him out. You will never believe a lie about who our God is and what his limited ability is. He is inexhaustible. There is nothing limited about him. He is unlimited. He has ways, yes, but he is inexhaustible. And this Jesus, he says, I have consecrated myself to you. We're gonna pause right there. Here's the amazing thing. I get three questions all the time as a pastor. Do you wanna know what they are? First one, Pastor Matt, why do bad things happen to good people? Right, we hear that all the time. Why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? Friends, let me tell you this. The wrong question is just asked. The question isn't, if God's so good, why do bad things happen? because a good and just God cannot be blamed for ungood and unjust things. Preach to anybody? A good and just God. Finite, like that's final. You don't get to change that. He says, I am good and I am just. Good and just God cannot be blamed for evil and unjust things. Are you hearing me? So the answer must be what? What is the blame for evil and unjust things? evil and unjust men, evil and unjust kingdoms, evil and unjust devils. Amen? 
Second question I get, if God's a God of love, why can I not love whoever I want to love? You want me to answer that one? You wonder why you can't just love whoever you want to love, straight, gay, or otherwise? We live in a weird world. You wonder why? Because none of us are called to worship our sexuality. Sexuality actually isn't the truest thing against you. Every single one of us, the straightest person to every other human, right? We have got sin at work in us and that sin at work in us, the cure for that is the blood of Jesus. And where do you go to receive that blood transfusion that can change you from the inside out? You lay upon the altar. Broken sexuality, heterosexuality, homosexuality, all the sexuality goes to die on the altar so that that man and that woman can live unto the glory of God. So when we're asking the question, if God's a God of love, why can I not just love whoever I want? That's the wrong question. The right question is where are the men and women of God who are gonna love God more than they love themselves, love God more than they love their time, love God more than they love their sexuality, love God more than they love their marriage, more, love God more than their idea of relationship and take all that they are and all that they desire, whether right or unright, and place it upon the altar and say, here God, have me. That's the question. The third question, in fact, which is what I really wanna hone in on, but I couldn't address the third question without addressing the first two, is this question. Well, Pastor Matt, why don't we see God moving like he did in the Old Testament? For instance, the days of Elijah. And Pastor Matt, why do we not see, my mic dead? No? Okay. Pastor Matt, why do we not see God moving like he did in the New Testament in the hour of Paul? Wrong question. Wrong question. The right question, friends, is where are the men and women of God like the Old Testament and like the New Testament that can be a living testament in the earth today to the good works and faithfulness of God? Where are the men and women of God like Elijah who was consecrated unto the Lord and unto the Lord alone? Where are the men and women of God who understood their sin to such a level that when they met God like Paul did, they went from death to life. They were consecrated unto God, only to God and for God for their life. And all of a sudden what happens is when we begin to live a consecrated life unto a consecrated God, God does consecrated things. Well, Pastor Matt, what are the consecrated things? Consecrated things are things set apart for the consecrated. Consecrated things are the consecrated things that are set apart for consecrated people. See, here's the deal. We're sitting here, we're going, why doesn't God this? Where wouldn't God do this? Why doesn't God do this? And the question isn't why God or where God, it's where, why man and where man. It's why woman and where woman. It's not why God, why, it's why not you? Why not now? What's interesting, if you read the scriptures, we've got this backwards. We're looking at the scriptures and the history of the church and the history of the world, and we're going, God used to do amazing things. No, God's always doing amazing things. It just happens to be that God had consecrated people that he could do amazing things through. We're missing it. We have always been the linchpin, but we want to blame him for our problems. We want to blame him when healing doesn't come. We want to blame him when the world goes to hell and we're all looking at us going, no, actually we are the only other being outside of him that he created that gave free will to. Yeah. <laughs> so if there's a problem in this equation, friends, it can't be the just and good one. 
It's gotta be the one who's still unjust and evil. We don't like that because it's a lot easier when we can blame him, but he's going, when are you gonna participate? Problem is to participate with God, his participation requires consecration. His participation requires consecration. You see, one of the things that's interesting is Jesus, he models this for us. He's in the middle of this inner Trinitarian dialogue. It's the most loving prayer that could ever be prayed. And what is happening in this moment? He says, I consecrate myself. The one who doesn't have to set himself apart because he's holy. He's saying, no, I've set myself apart for them. The one who doesn't have to go those distances because he's the king of the universe says, no, I'm going that distance for them. And isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, for the world, so we throw out universalism right away. He says, but for them and those that will believe their word to follow them. Who's that? The church. <clears throat> Who's that? You and me. Who's that? His bride. This is who our God is. He's saying, I have consecrated myself. Friends, Jesus made a decision that he was going to decide in a moment that he was going to fulfill his calling upon the cross. And in that, he consecrated himself apart for a people. Jesus set himself apart. And the invitation found in this high priestly prayer is to come and consecrate yourselves unto this God who has consecrated himself unto you. Are you hearing me? We want all these consecrated things to happen, but we haven't consecrated ourselves to be trusted with the consecrated things. We want God to move in mighty ways and we're like, God, where is the God of Elijah? Listen, Elijah was set apart. Are you set apart? God, heal my marriage. Are you and your husband set apart? God, do the unthinkable and the irreconcilable. Are you consecrated? God, I want to see my workplace, like mass salvation. Are you, are you consecrated? Are we just West Michigan casual Christianity or are we consecrated Christianity? He says, listen, I have consecrated myself. Do you guys know what the Latin word for consecrate, for decide is? It's decidere. The Latin word for decide, I have decided to consecrate myself, to set myself apart. I have decided is decidre. Do you know that's the same root word for the word homicide and suicide? Homicide, suicide, and decide all mean to kill myself off, kill something off unto something else. We love to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Right, I can't sing, but we, we, love, we try. We love to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, but we don't actually understand what the word decide means. It means I have decided to kill off everything else in pursuit of him. We, we, we have no venue of understanding for what this God of ours actually has done for us because he says first, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done unto you. He says, I've decided, I have killed off myself and my, available, uh, my availability to anybody else except my bride. Jesus has killed off every other lover in pursuit of you. Are you hearing me? Yeah. 
Doesn't mean he's not available to the world when they come to meet him, but he is not their bridegroom until they are a part of his bride. So for you and I, what does that mean? That means God loves you so much that he first, when he didn't have to, he consecrated, he cut off every other lover, every other idol, every other affection, every other pursuit. And what did he do? He consecrated, what does that mean? He set himself apart for you. That's who Jesus is. And so he invites us, you and I, he invites us into this place of saying, I kill off, I cut off, I commit homicide to the things that I used to love in this world, the things that used to have my affections. Why? So I can love you wholly. That's what the word decide means, the cedre. He literally is using the strongest language in a conversation with himself, his father in this moment. We get an intro to this amazing relationship that God is saying is actually available to us now through the purchase of Jesus made, made clean and pure on the cross. And John, James, and Peter, they're watching this and these boys, they would have understood what was being said what was being spoken about, what was being prayed about, what was happening in this moment wasn't God wants to ruin all of your fun, have fun living for him. It was, no, 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 you actually are now empowered and invited into live a life holy and holy unto him. That means nothing else has to weigh you down. Nothing else has to battle for your affections. Nothing else has to try and, and take Jesus' place on the throne of your life. That you can actually live this life here and now and unto eternity with him as your sole purpose in existence. See, what's amazing is when we begin to get this relational understanding of the house of prayer, suddenly all of our wicked, untruthful motivations, desires, and ideas that we have on the inside of us, suddenly it's like, you know what? I long for his presence in my life. All of a sudden, I marry the dream in my heart to the dream in God's heart that he would have people of prayer and houses of prayer. And all of a sudden, everything I pursue in this life comes from a place of wanting his presence there. All of a sudden, every dream, why do I want the promotion? Because I believe God's, I need God's presence at the top level of this company. Why are you working so hard to go where you're going unto the glory of God? Why do you want this marriage to be built in a church like this? Because I need the presence of God in the middle of my marriage. Some of us, we've tried doing marriage without the presence of God in the middle of it, and we know how that works out. Yeah. All of a sudden, we begin to marry the dream in Jesus' heart for his bride, and we allow the dreams in our lives to die. And all of a sudden, we're not asking him to come and collaborate on our next great venture. Instead, we co-labor with him in his greatest venture called the Great Commission, amen? And all of a sudden, in and through our lives becomes this beautiful life lived with Jesus, not around Jesus, through Jesus, not just about Jesus. It becomes a life firmly lived and set apart in Jesus. You know what's interesting about the three? is that Jesus has 500 disciples. 
Jesus has 500 disciples. It says when he ascended and he, or when he resurrected, it came up, he appeared to 500 of his disciples. Jesus got 500 disciples. But only three of them saw this. Why? Because of this. See, in the Old Testament, what we see is God have a few chosen, the chosen few, right? He's got a few people that he's close to, that he moves with, that have consecrated themselves in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, post-resurrection, what has happened? God has made himself through the blood of Jesus available to everyone. So what does that mean? Why is there 500 that then get shrunk down to 72 that go out? And then of that 72, Jesus has got 12 pretty close homies. But from those 12, all of a sudden there's three that are allowed to go with him, both to the garden of Gethsemane and this high priestly prayer. What is that? Could it be that in the New Testament Christianity of which you and I exist, there's not the chosen few, but there's the few that choose him? Could it be what God favors in the earth, what God does in the earth now isn't about selecting a few anointed people, but the anointed people that we all look up to, the people that we all admire, man, they got power in this area. They got relationship with this area and they got marriages that look like this and their sexuality is put together. And man, they're great in their singleness, yada, yada, yada. All of these things that we, can I say, covet in other people, generally appropriately, hopefully, what we covet in other people and what we fail to see is that God didn't choose them to a greater measure, but simply they chose God to a greater measure. Yes. Am I preaching to anybody? Yes. This is the consecrated people. It wasn't that 500 people didn't love him. It was that 500 people didn't choose him like the three. Yeah. It's not because 72 people didn't love him. It's because out of the 72, three chose him to a greater measure. It's not that the 12 didn't love him. It said out of the 12, three chose him to a greater measure. Are you hearing me? You see, we live in a time and place where we're like every Christian, every pastor, you got to have your 500 in your church. You got to have 72 like, you know, elders doing their thing. From there, you got to have 12 people that are on your board to help you do this. And then you got to have like three pastors that are at the top and kind of control everything. And we have taken this model that we see in scripture, but we've made it about us and not about him. We've made it in this way of going, oh, 572, 12, and 3. Let me tell you, I've been to a lot of church conferences. You know what they talk about? 572, 12, and 3. And I'm telling you, you know, you've got it wrong. It's not a governing principle that God was putting into place via his disciples. It was the consecration of people that made those, those differing numbers so despairingly big. The difference between 3 and 500 is massive. Who will you be? Who will you be? What will be said of you at the end of your life? Heck, what will be said of you at work next week? What is your testimony in your family? What will be said of you in this earth after you are long gone or Jesus meets us in the sky? What will be said of Matt McClure? As much as I want 500 and I want to take them with me and I want to do all that, that sounds, yes, right? Give my life to that. But do you know what I give my life more to? The consecration that gets me closer to Jesus. Why is consecration essential? Because God actually can't be around things that aren't like him. Yeah. He says that. He says that. 
And so now that we're living in this time and place, man, we are on the other side of this where it's like we have an invitation to consecration. Not only does that absolutely kill off your limited imagination and your boredom with him, but it invites you into the greatest adventure with him. You see, so often we look at other people and we covet what they have. And the problem with that is you can covet their fruit, but you have not seen the seeds behind closed doors that they have sowed unto him. We look at public works and you have not seen private weeps. We covet all of these things and yet we have no clue. We love someone's external gifting, but you have no clue about their internal offering. We live in this place where we're like, we wanna be like him. We wanna be like her. And it's like, well, are you consecrated like him? Are you consecrated like her? Because can I tell you, friends, the consecration is the key to every kingdom. Consecration is the key to every kingdom. Let me talk to you, champ. You wanna know why? Because in every kingdom, kingdom of man or kingdom of heaven, consecration is the key. You wanna know why? Climb the corporate ladder, what do you have to do? You have to kill off yourself to every other hobby, every other relationship. You will break up with girlfriends. You will break up with husbands. You will break up marriages, ruin families, all in what? The pursuit of being closer to the top of specific arenas and places. You consecrate yourselves to lesser kingdoms every day. And then we come to church and we get offended when the the pastor says, live for God more. No, you don't understand. When you started dating somebody, what did you do? You began to consecrate yourself unto that person. I started hanging out with Adrienne so much. The pastors at at the church I was working at the time, they were like, yo, is Matt and this girl having sex? (laughs) What's going on? We ain't seeing our boy no more. No, I'm trying to actually build something here. See, we actually are creatures of consecration. It just happens to be that we live in a fallen world with a fallen order, and so our consecration is out of order. I appreciate anybody this morning. It's getting quiet in this charismatic church. It's getting quiet with the spirit-filled believers. We live in a way, guys, where God doesn't receive the best of me. He receives the rest of me. We do. We do. If we were consecrated unto him the way James, John, and Peter were, we would have first row seats to amazing revelation in the heavenlies, amazing intimacy with God. We look at people who have got strange intimacy with God and we desire it or we're offended by it. And I'll tell you what determines it, your level of consecration. Your level of consecration. It's like, no, friends, there is actually a set-apartness. There is a depth. There is a relationship. There are gifts unimaginable. There are places with God that we have not even sniffed or glanced at yet. And why is that? It's because we are not consecrated like those that were consecrated. We look at Paul and we're like, well, we are in the same last 2,000 years, so what gives? Did God change who says he's not a liar and that he's the same forever today and tomorrow? No, of course he didn't. So what changed? our consecration changed. He says, I'm a consecrated God. I'm set apart for you. My response to that has got to be, I want to love you to the measure you love me. Are there areas in our lives that we haven't consecrated to him? That we haven't set apart for him? That we haven't said, no, actually God, you, your hands have been withheld from this area for so long and I actually, I need you to get your hands on this. Some of us, we, we live it with just the thoughts that we have even during a sermon, even during a worship song. 
because we lived in a time and place where we're so bored with God that the only time we're entertained with him is when we have a new personality in front of us saying the same thing our pastor's been saying for six years. And it's like, no, he's not our entertainment. He is our lamb that was sacrificed. Is there entertainment in him? Absolutely, I think he's wild. I could watch God change lives in this room, cast out demons, heal bodies, watch wheelchairs be left here. I mean, I could watch that all day and be entertained, absolutely, but it's him that satisfies. Of course he's entertaining. You ever seen some of the animals he made? It's like, why? Because he thought it was funny. You ever seen some of the people he made? You're like, why? Because it's funny. I'm one of them, it's fine. I get it. But this is the reality. He says, listen, I consecrate myself unto them, what? So that they may be sanctified in your word because your word is truth. God has desires. You were made in his image and likeness. Of course he has desires. You have desires. And it's in his desire that he would have us desire him the way that he desires us. And that is holy, wholeheartedly, with all of our lives, with all of our body, with all of our blood, with all that we are, with all of our career ambitions, with all of our goals, with all of the things that we want, with our marriages and our singleness and our kids, everything, our finances, our art, our worship, our singing, everything that we are and all that we possess. Because isn't that what he gave us through Jesus? All that he possessed? Consecration is the key to every gate in every kingdom. We just haven't seen his kingdom bigger or greater or more important than every other kingdom of man. But people will move cities for jobs. Unless you're Morgan, you move for the Lord. Champ stuff only over here. People will end marriages. They will break up relationships. Heck, they will buy the right car so that they can get the best gas mileage so they know they can make it to this job. There are people who pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to art school. I'm not looking at my wife right now. Don't. That's not what I'm saying. Don't put that on me. but we'll do these things that all of a sudden a couple of years later become obsolete because you can learn it all for free on YouTube because you can just all of a sudden become your own proprietor of your arts and your gifts and your things and you can put it on Instagram and you can sell your stuff and all of a sudden all of the things that we used to worship get cut out but what happens when we cut out the other kingdoms without going to the right kingdom we start worshiping ourselves and then it becomes about building our lives and our brands and getting ourselves forward, no longer just going up a corporate ladder, but what can I make out of Matt in my life? Are you seeing this? We are prone to consecration. We're just broken, so we're no longer prone to being consecrated unto him. Yet we will ask these questions as the day is long. Why God and where God? And the question is never why God and where God. It is always why man and where man? Why woman and where woman? Worship team, you can make your way up here. You see, it's in this moment that Jesus, he's praying to God the Father. And there are these three that are the most close. It's not that Jesus just chose them because he got along with them best. He's the God of the universe. 
I'm pretty sure a relationship with Peter was sufferable in and of itself. Wonder why? Because I know that I've made God suffer in my relationship with him. The amount of times he's like, I am picking you up again. What are we doing, guy? I'm like, I got it, I know, I know. But it had nothing to do with these individuals' personality. It had nothing to do with what they brought him or offered to him truly. It had everything to do with their consecration, their pursuit, and their set-apartness. And all of a sudden, Jesus says this. Are you hearing me? Jesus says this. He goes, so you have sent me, so I send them. Worship team, can you hear me? Yes, it's important for you. So you sent me, bless you, so I am sending them. What's interesting is in the West, we have taken that and we've made, we have made the outcome, we've made the outcome the main point of that purpose in scripture. We've looked at it and go, well, what was the outcome that Jesus was sent and desired for? Well, so that all would be saved. Great, I think we can all agree with that, right? Salvation's good, right? Amen, we love salvation. Anybody saved in the place? Okay, we love salvation. But it's not the outcome that Jesus was sent in. Hear the language. So you have sent me as you have sent me, just as you have sent me. So I now send them just as you sent me. What does just as mean to Jesus? Is it merely for salvation? Or is it this oneness he goes to speak of? That the outcome wouldn't simply be this hand raised and this full altar and this emotionalistic moment that so many churches have experienced over the years and we get a couple of weeks of growth out of it. We call it revival. We post it on Instagram. The next thing you know, people are back to living like hell and smelling like it. Is, is, that, is that what he sent Jesus as? Or is it this perfect lamb? Is it this perfect son? Is it this perfect savior, this perfect king, this perfect body, this perfect blood, this perfect sacrifice, this perfect example of what it looks like to have a resurrected life in a resurrected relationship at a resurrected time with our God? He says, just as you sent me, just as you sent me. That's not the prime goal motivation being the end all be all. That's a part of it, but it's not the whole of it. No, it's in this perfect relationship, this perfect intimacy, this perfect power, this perfect idea, this perfect desires, this perfection that you've sent me as, so I now send them. Pastor Matt, how do you know that's what he's saying? Because he literally follows it up with keep them consecrated. If this was all about salvation, we'd all be wearing our brokenness like badges of honor and be like, well, I'm broken too. Just come be with me in our little broken puddle over here. It's not about that. He's the God who exchanged beauty for ashes. He loves broken things, but it's because he can make them perfect things. I preached to anybody this morning. 
It's a life being invited into this time of being perfected by the perfected one. We live in West Michigan just offering God the rest of me, but never giving to God the best of me. And when we don't live and give God the best of me, what we actually do is we fall under the power of the spirit of this age and we just decide internally, well, if I can't give him the best of me, I won't give him any of me. And all of a sudden we deem ourselves unfit to come to church and we don't go to small groups and life groups and whatever they're called and we don't get involved and we don't have people covering our sticks and being a part of our lives because we're just feeling like we can't give him the best of me. So we will not even give him the rest of me. Well, what's interesting is yes, living a life of consecration is giving God the best of you. But it's not just simply giving God the best of you, it's giving God all of you. So that means even when I don't feel it, I'm coming. Even when I don't feel like I have anything to offer, I'm gonna be in his presence. Even when I have other things vying for my time, gifts, talents, and treasures, and attention, I'm gonna give it to him. Whether I absolutely love him right now or I'm a little indifferent towards him right now, I have said I'm consecrating myself. Why? Because he's already consecrated himself. Would you guys stand? There is this oneness that he has made available to every single one of us. A oneness that is found in likeness. Rome meant the word Christian to be a put down. God has resurrected it and made it a build up. Little Christ is your identity. The problem is when Rome said it and split it and made it this thing to not be desired. Oh, you're such a little Christ. All of a sudden, Christian, the weight of what that means, it lost its salt. It lost its flavor. It lost its depth. Because now we live in a time and place where people have taken little Christ and they've gone literal with it instead of familial with it. Instead of little brother of Christ or little sister of Christ, they've now lived at a level of little of Christ. He says, no, keep them, consecrate them, continually sanctify and set them apart so that we can be one. But what we've done in our time is we've settled for a little bit of him and a little bit of power and a little bit of freedom and a little less temptation and a little bit of church attendance and a little bit of confession and a little bit of transparency and a little bit of humility and a little bit of scripture and a little bit of his presence and a little bit of worship and a little bit of prayer. Like we have succumbed to this lie. Little Christ means I get little of Christ, little of what's Christ and I give little to Christ. I preach to anybody this morning. But no, what God meant is what Paul said when he says, no, 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 no. Jesus is just the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Friends, you and I, we have a decision to make today. And I mean decision as in decidre. <laughs> I mean, right now we have a moment gifted to us in God that before we take another step, before we go another hour, 
before we go and look at other idols that we could worship, before we wake up and go do another thing tomorrow, before we have another opportunity for anything else. We have an opportunity right now to decide, to set apart, and to consecrate ourselves unto Him. Where we decide, no, actually, I'm going to I'm going to kill off every other word over my identity besides I am his and he is mine. Preach to anybody. I am his and he is mine. That is my decision today. I'm deciding today there is going to be no other defining factor or person in my marriage. We are his and he is ours. In every arena in every area, in every part of you, known and unknown. You have a decision to make today, friends. Will I be his and will he be mine in the way that he said, be mine and I will be yours. We have a God who has set himself apart for you in every way. Will you respond this morning by setting yourself apart to him in every way? So what's going to happen right now is this. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of consecrate us, Lord. Where we're going to ask him. We're going to ask him to consecrate us, to set us apart, to, to take an inside look at our lives and say, God, what is the trajectory I'm heading on and what can you still save me from? Yeah, if you're coming to the altar, keep coming. More of God is available. Don't wait for me to pray. Don't even wait for me to start praying. Don't wait for me to be done or for them to start singing. This is his moment. Right now, Father, we just say, consecrate us, Lord. If you're here and you're laying down at the altar, just begin to say to him, consecrate me, Father. Consecrate me, Jesus. Consecrate me, Holy Spirit. Consecrate me, God. Just begin to tell him, you want to be set apart. You want to be set apart. You're sick of being indifferent towards him. You want to begin to be different unto him. Right now, Father, we say consecrate us. Father, we know that there are things in this world, things available to us, God, that you have made through your kingdom, God. The consecrated things, the consecrated areas, the consecrated depths, the things that are reserved for those who respond to you giving holy of yourself to then giving holy of themselves. God, we say today. We say today, God, we don't just want the fruit of consecration. God, we want to give seeds of consecration. Today, Father, right now, we say we're not just going to covet the things that we see in others' highlight reels that was birthed from their private consecration. But today, God, we say, you have my consecration. You have my set-apartedness. God, I don't want to be bored with you. I don't want to be bored by you. I don't want to look at Scripture as another thing I have to do. I want to look at my time in your word as the best thing I get to do. I don't want to look at worship as me just singing some songs that I barely believe. But I want to now look at worship songs and say, God, I'm going to sing it until I believe it. Set me apart until I receive it, God. Consecrate me, God. Consecrate my mind. 
My mind is my greatest idol. God, it takes me away from you. I worship my feelings more than I worship my consistent God. I worship my inconsistencies with my actions over my consistent God with my faithfulness. God, consecrate my mind. Consecrate my depression. God, I decide today I will no longer worship depression. I will worship my God who gives me the mind of Christ. Consecrate me until I receive the mind of Christ. Father, I no longer worship my broken heart. Divorce, death, remarriage, it won't have a place as the compass or the true north in my life any further. I consecrate my heart. I consecrate whether I've had divorce, whether I've had uh, death in a marriage or a spouse, whether I've never had a spouse, whether where I, no matter where I am, God, relationally on a horizontal level, God, I consecrate my heart. I set my heart apart for you, God. If you set your heart, Jesus, apart for me, Father, I set my heart apart for you. My soul, my soul that's wounded. God, I've had so many offenses. I've gone to so many, not the tree of life, but bushes filled with thorns to try and eat from poison berries, God, because I was wounded, desperate, in the desert, running dry, and I was under the spirit of delusion that something else could feed me, but it only left me hurt and pain. Father, I consecrate my soul to you, my weary soul. God, all of the words, all of the abuse, all of the things that were said, all of the things the enemy has done, all of the things that have been done to me or taken from me or that I've done to others that have still wounded me, that I carry on my shoulders. God, right now, I just say I consecrate my soul to you. Father, I want you to have my mind. I want you to have my heart. I want you to have my soul. God, I consecrate my body. I consecrate my body. God, all of the things I've done with my body. Oh God, the things I've done with my body have led to what I've allowed myself to think. What I've done with my body has allowed myself to feel things that aren't true, experience things that are lies, participate in things that have only led me into further bondage. The greatest wounds in my soul, God, are actually a direct result of what I've done with my body. So, Father, I consecrate my body like the Nazareths of old. Like Jesus himself coming from Nazarene. God, right now we set ourselves apart, God, and we decide right now, whatever it is, we agree with your scripture and we say like that of grape or wine it will not touch our lips as a Nazarite. Whether it's physical and experiential God we will not bring a razor to our head to honor you the days of our lives. Whatever arena that looks like for us God we just say we set ourselves apart for you. consecrate our theology we consecrate our experiences with God we consecrate our inexperience with God 
We consecrate our doubts. We consecrate our worries. We consecrate our troubles. Father, we want to be consecrated men and women of God. That great feats of salvation, God, would be the byproduct, be the overflow of our personal and great consecration unto you. God, more than we want to be consecrated and do consecrated things for you, we want to be consecrated alone with you. God, just lead us. Spirit, lead us in a moment of consecration. If there's any sin, if there's any doubt, if there's any slugs hidden underneath the rocks of our lives that we need to have upended and removed right now, whatever is undesirable, whatever is disgusting, whatever is not yet made pure or blameless before the Lord, God, we say we consecrate it to you because you are the safest place for our impurities because you'll draw them out of us and you'll make us gold again. So right now the worship team's going to lead us up. They're going to lead us up, and we're going to keep this our prayer. Consecrate us for your glory. Consecrate me, Lord. Set me apart, God. Set me apart. As God, you have set Jesus apart. I set myself apart for you. In Jesus' mighty name, I kill off every other lover and affection. Vying for your time and detention. I give myself to you fully. Amen. Amen.